big old clap. Good job. So proud of you. <laughs> I need constant validation. You Sam. don't. That's the problem. You are enough. <laughs> I'm not. You're not Norman Bates. You don't need to mummify me. Sit me in your sit, sit me in your bedroom and you know. But you keep telling me to do these awful things. Well, so because you're weak. You know. Hi, everybody, and happy Halloween, and welcome back once again to Podcast Part 3, the Part 3 Podcast, your go-to source for all things about movies that came after two other movies. I am Sam, and you can't see him, but he is right now seated across from me naked, waving two purple lights at me. Uh, It's Will Morey. (laughs) That's right, I am Will. And uh, this week we are talking about... (laughs) Because uh, there's no Halloween, new Halloween to talk about, and uh, we wanted to finish off things strong, so we are talking about uh, the sequel to the sequel to one of the most important horror movies of all time. We are talking about 1986's Psycho 3, starring and directed by Anthony Perkins. So I really did not expect a whole lot from these, because I, I hadn't seen Psycho 2 either before this, so I didn't expect a whole lot from these movies. I was kind of expecting them to be very much the uh, like jaw the jaws sequels sort of just uh, repetitive cash-ins uh you know yeah you'd think maybe this is anthony perkins doing the donald pleasance routine exactly yeah but um i was sort of shocked that these movies are like i'm not gonna say they're great but the, but they actually like are movies like they're not like they're not shameless cash-ins they're trying to do something with these characters and well with this character psycho 2 especially psycho 3 is kind of a mess but it's a real interesting mess uh and i think there's like (laughs) reasons behind some of its shortcomings and we can get into that a little bit but um yeah it's so to roll back the clock not even further (laughs) back than 1960 once upon a time in wisconsin there was a, a man named ed gein and uh, he was a little funny in the head, and he did a lot of silly <laughs> things with human body parts. Uh, and Ed Gein, after he was caught and his horrible acts exposed, he begat three cinematic sons. One was Leatherface, the other was Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, and the third was a mild-mannered hotel owner who just loved his mother, Norman Bates, uh, originally in the novel Psycho by Robert Block, and then most famously in Alfred Hitchcock's groundbreaking. I mean, it's fucking psycho. It's psycho, people. We're talking about psycho. It's the most, the most famous, the most game-changing horror movie of the 20th century and uh, the most famous scene in a horror movie ever. You know, it's... Yeah, one of the most famous scenes ever. I mean, like, it's... uh, what I mean, what, made by one of the most famous directors ever. I mean, like, what, you, what more is there to say of Psycho? Psycho, the the original Psycho, is such an interesting movie, even in the context of Alfred Hitchcock, because it's not the showiest movie he was doing at that time. This was right. It was black and white. It was well past his nineteen forties, nineteen thirties and forties British and early American black and white output when you had. In England, you had the Thirty Nine Steps, and then in America, you had you had Rebecca, you had the Strangers on a Train, you had uh, you know the Wrong Man, things like that, which are great. Some of my favorite stuff is from that era of his. But at this point, he he'd done Rear Window, he'd done North by Northwest. He was this was the same era as The Birds and Vertigo, these Technicolor, very like visually 
show. Not to say Psycho isn't visually stylish, but he didn't really think this was going to be that big a deal for him. He used his TV crew to produce it. Like, it was all like the Alfred Hitchcock Presents crew, and he considered doing it as just a two-parter on Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and then sort of somewhere along the way figured out, oh, I've got a real movie oh. here. Well, or, yeah, and it'll play it'll play for an audience, because it's so twisty and strange, the way that that movie is structured. Well, it's, it's the movie that, you know. like, basically created showtimes for movie theaters, because he had the whole no-one-will-be-admitted-after-the-movie-starts right. <laughs> gimmick. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's much like we... I think we talked about... We mentioned Psycho when we talked about Planet of the Apes. It's one of those movies that you wish you could go back and see cold knowing absolutely nothing about it. Right. Because we all know the twist. We all know what the deal is with Mother yeah. and the backstory and all of that. Uh, but imagine not knowing that in 1960. And just, well, and seeing that shower scene in 1960 as well. Because the movie starts out as, as sort of like a crime thriller almost. And then like just gradually morphs into this other thing as it goes along. Um, and then the shower scene comes in, and you're like, oh, the main character is dead now? Oh, there's more movie left? What? <laughs> like, knocks you off your axis, and you're like, I don't know. You don't, like, you, you're you introduced to this, you know, he's a little uncomfortable, like, uh, but, like, shy, awkward hotel owner, and Marion Crane, who's on the run, but she's kind of well-meaning, even though she's stolen a bunch of money, and then it just, like, yeah. It's before that scene and after that scene, both in the movie and in cinema in general. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, and you know, when I saw it, I was probably like 13. I saw it right when the remake came out is when I first saw it. So I was about 13 or 14. And, uh, you know, it had been parodied and homaged and a thousand other things at that point. So it, it's not like it was a revelatory, you know, movie-watching experience. I mean, it's a really good movie, but it wasn't surprising, I guess. It, it's one know? of those movies that the joy of watching it now is showing it to someone that's never seen it before, not because they don't know the twist, but to see pop culture references get backfilled exactly. in their head, like showing someone Casablanca or Star Wars for the exactly. first time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was... As we, I think we joked about in the last episode, it's a movie that literally needed a character to explain to all the other characters <laughs> in the final ten minutes of the movie what the hell just happened. <laughs> yeah, which is something the sequels kind of do a little bit, or at least part two does, where somebody comes in and sort of explains everything, but it's a little different. It's a little more, I don't know, weirder. <laughs> Time passes... And it's now, like, the early 80s, and the slasher movies have become a big deal. Halloween's going strong. Friday the 13th is going strong. Freddy is... I think Freddy was a year away at New Line. But it is definitely an era where it's like, okay, what do we got in the horror vault that we can dig up? You know, so Universal was like, wait, we got Psycho. Psycho has a guy with a knife in it. Let's do something with that. And thankfully... They brought on for Psycho 2 in 1983. A, they got Anthony Perkins and Vera Miles from the original back. Um, right. And then they were able to get Richard Franklin, who was an Australian director who had... He was at USC alongside George Lucas, Robert Zemeckis, and John Carpenter at the time. Oh, wow. And became good friends with Hitchcock after uh, arranging a screening of Rope. And Hitchcock actually reached out to him... He invited Hitchcock to give a lecture at the university, and eventually they became good friends. And then 
Hitchcock died in 1980, I believe. And thankfully, Richard Franklin got the job directing Psycho 2 and Tom Holland uh, of uh, Fright Night and Child's Play fame. That's right. uh, Came uh, came in to write the script. So you had like a really good like people trying to do this right. And what they ended up coming up with is a really good character study for Norman Bates. And I think a big part of that is Anthony Perkins' performance. Yeah, I mean, and what makes makes Psycho 2 so, like, fun to watch is that it, like, every scene is sort of dripping with tension because you're like, oh, my God, is he going to, is he, because every time he, like, looks at a knife or, like, picks up a knife, you're like, oh, boy, is he going to, is he going to go? Is this, is he going to snap now? And what's so fun about that movie uh, is just how it like twists and turns and how at one point you're like, oh yeah, he's definitely the killer. I can see exactly where this is going. I know, I kind of know how this is going to play out. And then you're like, oh no, wait a minute. That's not exactly what's it's happening. It's structured in a way that if Anthony Perkins were alive today and they decided to do, you know, a, a sequel to the original Psycho, probably called Psycho, it's exactly <laughs> what the plot would be. Because it's, it's, it's a yeah, sequel, exactly. but it is kind of, the way it ends is sort of a soft reboot. Because it kind of ends right. where the original movie began. Like, he's back at the hotel, he's at his house, mother's up in the window, and, you know, all is right with the world. But the whole, the thing that's sad about the movie is he's the movie maniac that the whole time you're really rooting for him to, for him not to get to out of it yeah. okay. It's not, oh, I hope these yeah. other characters get away from him. It's, oh, I hope he doesn't kill. I hope he can, like, be, he's trying to be okay, and you, you're rooting for him. Because deep down he's, you know... He's not a well person, and he, right. Norman Bates, is, like, kind of a sweet, innocent person, and the mother personality is what's com- driving him to violence. Right, and I, I can't I can't remember, in the original Psycho, do they go into sort of how... Because it, it, in Psycho 2, they kind of get into how abusive his mother was to him. Yes. Uh, I don't remember that being a big thing in Psycho, but uh, it's been a while. So. If I recall correctly, what Kolchak's boss uh, says at the end <laughs> of Psycho, uh, basically, uh, you know, he and his mother were very close. She was very domineering. When this other man uh, was in their life, she uh, he poisoned the, this guy and his mother. And that was so devastating on him mentally that the mother personality took over. Took over. And, you know, by the end of that movie, the original Psycho, it's ostensibly that mother is fully in control now. And when we come back in Psycho 2, it's been 22 years later, and he's, you know, uh, presumably okay. But but right. uh, the sad thing is, is that there's all these people around him that want him to not be okay. Not be okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I actually, the the twist, because, you know, I, I, I'm i watching Psycho 2, and I'm like, I don't know, this is an interesting character study, but I, I'm pretty sure I know where, it, like, he's killing the people. I know that, and then when it kind of, when the turn happens in that movie, I was like, holy crap! <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's, you know, because it's twofold, because it's, uh, Vera Miles from the original is manipulating him to try and drive him crazy, right. but also his... And this is like, we're going to get into this with the Psycho 2. Uh, it's a classic Halloween caliber backpedal there in Psycho 3. But <laughs> his real mother is out there and she's right. killing to protect him. Uh, 
but that doesn't work out so well for her because Psycho 2 ends with Norman Bates killing an old lady so hard. <laughs> it's, I, I, it's, I mean, the Psycho movies always have had a little bit of comedy to them, but it is amazing when he just wangs her on the head with that shovel. <laughs> a shovel, you're like, oh my God. Especially because it's implied that he's already poisoned her and she's about to pass out. He's like, I can't wait. Bonk. No, no, bonk. <laughs> oh, boy. And this is after sort of, like, misunderstandings and, and you know, duplicity has driven him to kill already, you know, sort of as a tragic... Yeah, it's, it's sad. Know. Well, it's also sad because as many people are that are rooting against him, there's a lot of people in the town, and this Psycho 2 and 3 really do a good job of, like, establishing Fairvale as a town, which you only get kind of a hint yeah. of in the original. In the second one, it is like like the sheriff and the guy that runs the diner, they're all like really And Robert, Robert Logia. Logia. <laughs> that's right. Are all really like very kind and supportive to him. And a lot of that yeah. carries over into Psycho Three, which I like, even though they weren't made back to back, Psycho Three does carry over some of those characters, especially the sheriff, who you know, yeah. I, I, he's he's one of my <laughs> favorites. Such a well-meaning so well guy, and his at, like the way he is at the end of Psycho Three is great because he's more just like I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Disappointed. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm just so I'm just so disappointed in you, Norman. I stuck up for you. They're gonna put you in jail forever now. <laughs> <laughs> so Psycho Two ends um, with uh, basically the iconic shot. Like the 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 saga has begun again. Norman Bates on the hill with mother, and the hotel's open for business. Psycho three begins with a woman screaming, "There is no God!" And then we get a big old vertigo, uh, <laughs> a big old vertigo. Real, uh, like, like, for the first ten minutes of that movie, were it not for the title Psycho three, you'd be like, "Is this the right movie? <laughs> yeah, what am I watching here?" Yeah, it is. Um... This is a very strange beast. This is, this is, uh, uh, well, I mean, I think we talked about last week. It's Anthony Perkins did this one and he did it because he agreed, like, I'll do it, but I want to direct. Uh, and so right. he was directing it. And at the time, I think while they were in production, Blood Simple had come out, which is Coen Brothers' first movie. And that really influenced the look and the feel of this one. And you can see that. There's, like, Blood Simple, Raising Arizona vibes all over this thing. All over. Including yeah, the and, fact that and... it's got Carter Burwell doing the score, which is a very different score than what you think of when you think of Psycho. Yeah, I mean, like, Psycho 2 reuses a lot of, like, the, the same musical It's a lot, theme. Of, a lot of strings sort of... in the second one, like Bernard yeah. Herrmann in the first. Yeah. And, and Psycho 3 just sort of ditches all of that to sort of... Have just sort of this more synthy kind of like '80s score. Really, it feels like a, almost a Tangerine Dream score in a way. You know? Yeah. No. I. I or like Van Vangelis or something like Vangelis yeah, too. Like it's yeah. Very mid '80s. Very 1986 score. Like because uh, Psycho <laughs> Two is Jerry Goldsmith, which is a very he's going to give you a very classic like orchestral score that would feel like the for original movie. This is more. This is more in the vein of like. Uh, John, a John Carpenter score or Harry Manfredini doing Friday the 13th. Exactly. Yeah, and, um, but also it carries over, like, sort of the tone, the Coen Brothers, like, weird, pitch black, dark comedy thing. Um, it doesn't 
do it from the beginning of the movie, but that tone sort of starts creeping in as the movie goes along, and it starts kind of becoming a little funnier, a little weirder, a little more surreal. Well, the, the visuals of the movie get more and more surreal. They actually do remind me of yeah. ver- the colors are very Vertigo esque throughout. Yeah. So you know you get the Hitchcock connection there. Like the opening is indeed like set at the top of a, a you know church bell tower with like a nun committing suicide or trying to commit suicide. And then she leaves the nunnery and gets, and is just wandering down the road and she gets picked up by like what Jeff Fahey playing what I can only describe is the fourth brother from Texas Chainsaw Massacre (laughs) three Dwayne Duke, Dwayne, a character who, who who goes from uh, uh, being a scumbag to being like, He's almost positioned like he could be like the hero at one point to being a scumbag again to going just bug nuts insane by the end of the movie. (laughs) Just hopping around in his underwear with a light that he's like put pornography. Oh, he he does not waste any time making that hotel room his own. Where did he get all that porn? And he like cuts it all up. Yeah, and, like, he's like uh... tapes them all together. It's like, what is what is this? Who is this man? That, that character feels like he was like three different characters that got like stitched together. But it is, yeah, he's so he's such a counterpart to Norman Bates because he's such a more nineteen eighties horror character, right? You know, shit yeah. kicker, scumbag. You know, you being the hitcher. <laughs> Or in Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. And Norman Bates is such an anachronism, both as a character and because his the character originates from 20 years prior. Right, and the yeah, the cinematic landscape of his, of where he comes from. Well, you from. think of, um, just in the movie, what Jeff Fahey gets up to, he's like hanging out, you know, at the hotel, or he's going down to that bar. Norman Bates goes, takes uh, the uh, Maureen... Uh, to that weird supper club that fucking weird little banquet hall where it's all old people and that weird piano player it's so strange it's so strange and he's just he's uh he is it's a very weird he gives a very weird performance i mean he's a very norman bates is a weird character anyway but he sort of gives this like off kilter he's a little too off kilter in this and i think a big part of that is that maybe because he was directing his performance is a little more on autopilot uh compared to because he's very good in psycho 2 like his performance in that is great and this one it feels a little more i don't know like a little broader on a certain level yeah, but the movie is also a little broader too. Like, it's true, yeah. Like it's more, it's, it's more like exploitative, exploitative. You know, it's sleazier. It's got more like, like it's got a lot of like giallo elements to it. Yeah. Like the phone booth killing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's. Yeah, it's such an odd movie, and it is. It's it's just it's a and it is like probably the most overtly comedic of the three. Yeah. I yes, I'd say so. I mean, I think the other two are very more like like dry comedy. This is like it, especially as it gets gets to the end, it's a lot like sillier and weirder and like campier almost. Well, it's it's also kind of like where where uh where do you go? Right. Well, yeah. It? I you mean, know, it's like you get to the, the end of the thing. movie. The problem with the original Psycho is it doesn't know how to end itself. <laughs> right. You know, it's like <laughs> well, yeah, you got to have somebody come in and be like, "This is what's happened," and then you're... well, you think <laughs> of like speaking of like Dario Argento movies, you watch something like Suspiria, and like 
like the credits will just roll as soon as the movie is done. Like <laughs> the like the burn building will still be on fire and it'll roll. Like yeah, credits. exactly. And it's I feel like maybe it's because these are American movies and American movies have to have like a, a, an, an epilogue in a certain sense. You know these these ones don't know how to wrap themselves up in a bow quite the same way. So this one needs the reporter to come in and like just like like as quickly as possible convey that the the Emma Spool, the woman from part two who was the killer, who he thought he thinks is his mother and is now the corpse of right. his mother, was not his mother. And that's enough for him to break the like hold she has over him. But it's like this is this is like a speed run. The last ten minutes of this movie <laughs> go so fast. <laughs> yeah, and it's a weird retcon because it's like not only is is his it's not his mother was also crazy as well as his aunt was also crazy. It's just like it's like wait a minute, wait a minute. It's it, well, it's one of those things where it's like okay, I'm guessing back in the day, someone people probably didn't like that twist in Psycho Two. Yeah, but yeah. then also like you then have to like undo it for Psycho Three, and it kind of just kind of takes the takes the piss out of both movies in a sense. Yeah, it, well, it just yeah because it cancels it it cancels each other out. You're sort of like, well, uh, we're, we're kind of back in the same place we were anyway if we didn't do the retcon. <laughs> you know? yeah, it just feels well, like sort of pasting over a problem that wasn't a problem. I don't know. I mean, that's, I, you know, I, coming at it like 25, 30 years later or so. Well, it's it's know? also like it does it, it leaves you in this really ambiguous place with Norman Bates where on a certain level you want him to have resolution in one direction or another. Right. So if he's not going to be, you know work in the hotel uh with with mother up in the window he's back in the asylum but it doesn't it's it's not 100% clear if he's free of that like psychological hold she has on him and but it's also like he doesn't get to have peace nor does he get killed he doesn't right. die or anything yeah. so it's it's all left completely up in the air at the end so it's it's it, it you know it's a bit of an empty feeling at the end of the movie yeah uh, and i i I did like sort of the element of like of tragedy in the way Maureen died and that it wasn't sort of a, a you know, wasn't purposefully murdered. She sort of fell onto the spear or the arrow, whatever it was. <laughs> I, I question the quality of, of that poor girl's mental health support network. <laughs> yeah, well, she was also... Had... Those were not great nuns at the beginning trying to talk her down. Nope. Uh, and I don't know if the, the priest was, you know, uh, uh, he probably should not have let her go back to the murder hotel. I mean, it probably should have sent up a red flag that she's staying at the same hotel as the guy who tried to rape her in the beginning, like, <laughs> like two minutes well, after meeting they're, her. They're barely, like, once, the, after the uh, their initial, like, meeting in the car, and he dumps her out of the car after being a scumbag... They don't really have much interaction after that. He's kind yeah. of like, "I'm sorry, I got it. I don't know what came over me that night." And you then know, they never like, see, they never speak they, to they, each they, other. Like again. they never interact again, which so. probably does lead to your your hunch that probably the Jeff Fahey character was at one point a couple different characters that was merged into one, so that they didn't have to pay another actor. <laughs> like I don't well, know. It's, it's it's you could excise that entire car sequence with the two of them at the beginning and it wouldn't affect the rest of the movie right 
But I guess it's like they really do. You know, there's a lot of movie before you get to the motel. Yeah. And you get to Norman Bates. <laughs> and, his, and his birds. <laughs> and his peanut butter. His birds and peanut butter. Ugh. Oh. God, that was so gross. He's doing the taxidermy and eating the peanut butter. You're like, oh. oh I get hate a second this. spoon, bro. Man. <laughs> Jesus. So Or foul. just wait. You don't need to do it at the same time. Just wait well, until I... you clean up. I mean, I get it. You know, you working and you need a snack, but it's like, <laughs> I don't eat my yogurt with my pen. You know? <laughs> Ugh. Uh, uh, but it is, I like his intro, though. The the birds at the bird feeder, and then he just kind of walks up. He's so benign. Yeah. You know, like, he's just this nice, kind of shy, uncomfortable man. And, you know, everyone in town gets along with him great, and he's a nice guy, and he's not, like, overtly weird to like people that come to the hotel to stay you yeah know, it's he's just, just he's just there's like an unsettling feeling about him and even like to people who don't know his history there is even they're they're even put off by him um and i, I do like this idea of putting it, psycho 2 kind of explores this of taking characters who are like morally reprehensible and putting them in Norman Bates's orbit and sort of seeing how he reacts, you know? That's yeah. sort of like, it's a, a, an interesting thing that you can do with a character like Norman Bates that you obviously can't do with, like, you know, Jason or Michael Myers, you know, because they're just just doing their thing, you know? And whereas and, Norman and Bates, it, like, has feelings and thoughts. That, and that's <laughs> the thing, what it's, and it's also, there's almost something weirdly satisfying about it because they're such, like, you know, like like Duke, they're like Jeff Fahey's character, they are such reprehensible characters. Right. But you also know that they don't realize they're up against, like, a serial killer. Right, exactly. It's, yeah. It's a little bit like like when Hannibal Lecter comes up against someone more odious than Hannibal Lecter. Right. There is an element of satisfaction in knowing, oh, you, you, you don't know what you're getting into, man. <laughs> you know, he's going to fuck you up. Yeah, and it's, it's not, it's, um... Yeah, and Hannibal Lecter is a great sort of example. He's a different type of character, but the same thing in that he's a character who has like thoughts and feelings that um, you know your typical slasher just can't doesn't have just because of the nature of the way that those movies are put together. The Hannibal TV show does a great job with that because yeah. a it's Mads Mikkelsen, so he's just so charismatic as Hannibal Lecter, and he's doing it very differently than Anthony Hopkins. But when you come across uh, a villain who's more disgusting and more horrendous than him, and he yeah. and like Will Graham have to team up. Like the last half of the last season of Hannibal was just doing Red Dragon, right? And so right. it's, th- but in that version, it's like literally like they have to fake Hannibal's escape so that he can go up against you know the the Red Dragon, go up against Francis Dollarhide, and it's you know it's so satisfying when you know they do and you can walk that line of like this is a character who has done horrible things but the character himself is so magnetic that you can't help but find his action satisfying right or or yeah or root for him to get out of it you know or or just and and norman bates is infinitely more sympathetic than hannibal lecter right he's uh, norman bates just isn't as entertaining to sort of like watch and talk you know do things i guess <laughs> you know Hannibal yeah. Lecter is a little more flamboyant and flashy well flamboyant is the wrong word but you know he's he's uh erudite erudite yeah yeah he's more he's more of an actor because it's it's he's, he's anthony hopkins you know 
The other thing I found really kind of an interesting flip is you sort of do the shower scene from the original movie and he comes in and it's she's actually committing suicide. I thought that was like yeah. a, a very interesting way to also sort of uh, play off of expectations. Yeah, they do a good job with that really like pull, like flip, flipping that and and like kind of uh yeah, it cuz it's, you know, obviously she's going through her own like crisis of faith and is clearly like a depressed, going through clinical depression and yeah. uh, despair, and and uh, you know you feel really bad for her character because oh, I mean, she just she just gets the short end of the stick, sort of every step of the way, like you were because you know like it's like she has this bond with Norman Bates and they're very sweet together, but it's just you know like she's once she's in his orbit, like you said, she's she doesn't stand a chance. No, it's just trouble, trouble all the way down. Um, the only one, even though she's so obnoxious about it, that gets it is that reporter. Right, exactly. Because she's just like, she's just like, y- you guys know he's like, this This is a problem, right? You know he's <laughs> just like, there's still something going on. <laughs> and the yeah. chair, she's like, now, now, we've heard just about enough out of you. <laughs> Norman Bates has paid his debt. <laughs> we believe in second chances in this town. Typical soft-on-crime sheriff. <laughs> Just just wants to walk around and eat ice. <laughs> oh my god, that's such a great scene. Like like as like a like a black comedy. Like it just where he's eating ice and there's the finger, the bloody ice going in his mouth. That's that's a Coen Brothers moment. And yeah, it really Anthony is. Perkins, Anthony Perkins just sitting there like twitching. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, that's also the moment where you're like, this sort of came out of a different movie. The movie like up until this point has not really been doing things like this. <laughs> It's it's the most uh, overtly eighties horror of the three. Yeah, because it is the sleaziest. It's got the most nudity. The set, like the house, feels the closest to like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. house. Yeah, and since they're like Norman Bates's spiritual relatives, you know, <laughs> it's hard to not draw the connection. But like the house is so run down and yeah. dusty. And, and the the, ki- the kills are also a little more like excessive than even yeah. in two. Even in two, where it started to get a little gory, and you had that the one where where it goes through what's her name uh, Vera Miles Matt like oh yeah throat. and Dennis Franz gets his it's, like face like, slashed open. But like it's, I mean, I think that's also just to be expected. Like it's, the original Psycho is so famous for everything you don't see or exactly. you think you yeah. see. Uh, that uh, but uh, once you're making them in the '80s, it's hard to get around. Like, there's gonna be some gore. Yeah, it's no, just so jar. More. I. It's it's it's. I don't think I've ever watched the original and then these two uh, right after it. I imagine it would be a lot more jarring. Yeah, yeah, and it'd be a very. I think it'd be a very strange. I don't think it'd be a totally satisfying experience. No, I um, think it would be more akin to Halloween and then the newer Halloweens. Yeah, uh, on, on a yeah. certain level. But it is, it's it's admirable because these could have been way more cynical cash. Oh, yeah. And that's that's what I was saying at the beginning, is that's what I expected. I just expected these to be Jaws sequels, basically, you know, or or any of the, you know, slasher sequels of the 80s, sort of just like, all right, somebody, you know, here are a group of people, they go to the motel and then proceed to get murdered one by one. Yeah. And like, (laughs) they have a little bit of that. Like, there's always like, a third party hanging out at the hotel. There's right. the, the girl that Jeff A. He picks up or all the people in town for the big <laughs> the game. Big game. <laughs> Ooh, 
are just ridiculous. like having the best time. They're, They're having, having so much so fun. So much fun. <laughs> and then also like everyone that ro- works at the hotel is not around. So that one poor girl is kind of like at the end of the day, it almost seems like she's running the place. Yeah. <laughs> Like, exactly. she's, like, like checking up on Maureen, like, hey, you left your door open, or, like, <laughs> hey, is anyone in the office? And, you know, like... <laughs> Oh, my God. All cheerleaders boff the linemen is what I put down in the, uh, that's what they, the, that big dude oh, says. <laughs> those, that, that couple, my backstory for them is that they have been, they, they got married after high school, and they've been parents for 20 like 15 years and this is the first weekend they've gotten away so they're just reverting back to their basic instincts from when they were 18 yeah so that's that's and that's kind of what i went with for them because they're just like this is like the first time they've had a weekend to themselves in like 20 years (laughs) that totally tracks they're uh they are like they they act like they're teenagers and you're like no wait they're (laughs) they're in their like 40s no i'm like that is a 40 year old man (laughs) But yeah, it's, um, Uh. it's, we've talked about a lot of part threes that are, like, the franchise running out of gas. Like, Child's Play 3 is a little bit of that. Hellraiser 3 is definitely that. Leatherface is definitely that. And I would say this one is not so much that, it's just, uh, it's, it's, you know, I think Norman Bates as a character can only go so far before you have to resolve him in some way or another. Yeah. And, but it is, it's, you know, there's a documentary that came out probably 10, 15 years ago now called The Psycho Legacy. And it's, I think Shout Factory put it out. And yeah. you watch it. And at first, it's like the story of this movie directed by Alfred Hitchcock. But as they go into the franchise, it's the story of Anthony Perkins. Right. And it is just like, I think it's great that he was able to revisit this character in a way that, you know, did justice to it and expanded on the character and gave him some, a really good, a couple of really good performances. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, I, I, I don't want to get too in the weeds on his personal life. I did just a cursory Wikipedia, so I don't know how true it is, but it seems like he had a lot of, issues with his sexuality and grappling with that and it and a lot of the at least psycho two and three is sort of dealing with this psychosexual sort of weird gender conformity thing going on um and it seems like a lot of that is in these movies whether intentionally or not um, but it is like a, a just a, a person who is held back by something that's keeping him from you know going after what he wants why can't you just let me be happy you know like it it is you can see the connection to his personal life and he passed away only about six years after this movie came out yeah you know he was uh you know uh i think he was hiv positive he had aids and you know he'd been uh his sex yeah you're right his sexuality had been uh, something he'd kept to himself for a long time, and he was, you know, a very outspoken person in a lot of other ways. Like, he was a big part of the civil rights movement. I think he was at the Selma March with oh, Martin wow. Luther King. Yeah. yeah. No, he's, he was a, a very interesting guy, and I think also his career was a little hindered by Psycho, because I think he had to fight back against typecasting yeah. all, all the way yeah. after that. He didn't... Yeah. And I don't think he embraced uh, the horror genre the same way like Robert Englund might. Right. Have, he, but he, I, I don't see him showing up to like horror conventions or whatever. He's not, no, he's not going to be in the Mangler. Or like, <laughs> uh, you know. 
it's not going to do like a happy happy birthday to me or something like yeah. that. But but it is but it is very admirable that he did you know come back to a movie that could have to a, ser- a group of movies that could have easily been just ca- like naked cash grabs and he and he came back and was sort of like I'm going to treat this right. I'm going to try and make this like a real performance and a real character and a real and like even like getting the chance to direct and like you know, it's like I'm going to make this like try to make this kind of a real thing and not just sort of an exploitative cash grab of, you know, a mega corporation. I mean, you see this on every level of of the of movie and TV making, which is, you know, people that phone it in on yeah. on some level or another. It's not just, you know, big movie stars or leading actors. It's it's everyone's writers, it's directors, it's editors, it's animators, anyone. I am of the opinion and I I think you would agree treat every everything you do as an opportunity to do your best work. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it's it's uh it, it it's it's you know, and not and like Psycho 2 obviously was a director who saw that as an opportunity and yeah. a writer who saw that as an opportunity and a lead actor who saw that as an opportunity. It's different. It's neither of these movies feel like cynical. No. And even though yeah. I would say Psycho 3 is a very strange, not entirely successful movie. It's very genuine in what it's trying to do. And it's yeah. ve- it cares about the characters and the legacy of the franchise. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's not just trying to ape what's come before or, you know, I mean, in some ways it is because it's sort of playing with like the iconography of the original movie, but it's not like trying to just, oh, we're just going to redo the the first one again. We're going to, we're going to try something new. We're going to try a new tone. We're going to try some new um, elements in here. We're going to add in some like kooky lighting. We're going to add in, like, you know, this Coen brothers feel to it. Yeah. Um, it does have such a unique look, even compared to the second one. Yeah. And it's, I think that's one of the, Selling points is what a what a strange otherworldly movie it feels like. Exactly. I mean, it almost feels like the whole movie uh, is like what's going on in Norman Bates's brain. Like it. Yeah. Like it, it just it's one of those movies where the external world mirrors the the internal world of the character. You know. Yeah. You don't entirely trust uh, the movie's point of view at any given moment. Like, yeah. You know, because especially because yeah, the movie, unlike the original. Uh, Psycho 2 and Psycho 3 are from the point of view of Norman Bates, and Norman Bates does not have a reliable point of view. Right. Yeah, and even he doesn't re- doesn't think he has a reliable point of view. Like he like yeah. is like I'm crazy. I don't I, nothing like I I do can like like make any his, sense. <laughs> his reaction when mother mother disappears and he can't find her is amazing because he's just like. <laughs> What? Wait, where did you go? <laughs> it's like, well, it's like uh, yeah, it's like you never leave, and then then he's like, no, wait, she is, she's just gone. She's yeah. <laughs> he finds the note in the kitchen is come find me in cabin twelve, mother, and he's like, this can't be good <laughs> because on one level he knows I wrote would have written this note, but I didn't write this note. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a wild movie, and I now there is a Psycho Four, isn't there? Or am there, I making that was, up? No, you are not. It is um, made. It was made for TV. It was on Showtime, nineteen ninety. Uh, directed by Mick Garris. Okay. Uh, it's called Psycho: The Beginning, and it's not related to two and three. It directly follows up Psy- the original Psycho. It's written by the by Joe uh, Stefano, I believe his name is, who wrote the original movie screenplay. Okay. Uh, and it's 
both a sequel and a prequel. It's Norman Bates calling into a, a, a radio show because he thinks he's about to kill again. And okay. it's because his wife uh, that he's now and he's now he's now married and his wife is pregnant and he's afraid that that's going to carry on like his murderous family line. Okay. And it, then it becomes a flashback about his uh, relationship with his mother. And so it's Henry Thomas as young Norman Bates and Olivia Hussey as his mother. OK, so it's a completely different story. So that's a second psycho. Time <laughs> right. There's Psycho 123, there's Psycho, Psycho the Beginning, Psycho Remake, and the Bates Motel series. <laughs> and the Bates Motel pilot that never became a series, uh, which was Bud Court inherits the Bates Motel, and he and Lori Petty have to deal with all the creepy, kooky guests that come check in. <laughs> oh, man. How much can we bleed one concept dry? Well, I mean, you. <laughs> but I heard, I heard the Bates Motel show was actually pretty good. The the newer series is quite good because they really do. It's just like we're going to change it all up. Like yeah. we're going to, you know, come at this from a completely different angle. We're going to really delve into uh, uh, Norman Bates and his mother as characters. We're going to, you know, it's it's. I would equate it to Hannibal uh, in terms yeah. of like let's how do we revisit something that is so iconic yeah. and do it in a new like new fresh way and it's it helps it's, it's Freddie Highmore and Vera Farmiga so the performances are really good yeah. it's it's a really well and it also does a nice twist on the shower scene because that's kind of psycho you, you laws have you have that. to do yeah. something with the shower scene <laughs> and in that yeah. one in Bates Motel without going into spoilers it's it's let's do the opposite of the original. We're not going to cut at all. Oh. We're going to just show you exactly what happens and how, like, kind of, like, artless and brutal it is. Yeah. And that works really well for that show. Right. Huh. Yeah, it's very intriguing. I mean, it's, uh, and, and, you know. And then, of course, Gus Van Sant made a remake in 1998, and it sucks. Because <laughs> it's just the original movie with no flourishes, the, except it's in color. The right? most head-scratching movie <laughs> Can we talk about the fact that Maureen in Psycho 3 doesn't look a damn thing like Janet Leigh, but she weirdly looks like Anne Heche in the Psycho remake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen the Psycho remake, but it. it she's I, but I know short... the. I remember the trailers and everything and the short hair, yeah. Well, we can watch it sometime and you can just be like, what is, why is this? <laughs> I just remember, when, like, I can't remember if that was before or after Goodwill Hunting, and I just remember thinking, why would you use your, like, cachet to do this of all things like you basically have a blank check at a certain like at that level i think he used the term it was a revisiting and i've heard some people say that it was like kind of like a he was like if i do this then no one else will do this and ruin it but it is it does feel like such a strange exercise like we did a film uh, in a film class at Hampshire, you and I had to do a thing where we recreate a scene from a movie and then we modify the scene from the movie to try and give it a different angle. And we did the scene in the woods from Miller's Crossing and then we did it again. But in the, that time, it was a clown pleading for his life and it changes your perspective. It's like, I don't know. I, I don't think you need I mean, I don't think it's. I don't think it's bad to remake movies and Lord knows every horror movie has been remade at this point. Yeah. But if you're going to remake psycho, why don't you try to do something with it? Yeah. You can't full, like how many Hitchcock remakes are out there that are any good? Are there any? 
I mean, there's there's the rear window with um, with uh, uh, Christopher Reeve. With Christopher Reeve, which and I'll just just I'm going to say is not no, nothing against Christopher Reeve, but it's not as good as the original yeah, rear yeah, window. Yeah. Hot take. <laughs> it's like they've touched on they did a sequel to the birds that no one saw that was terrible in the 80s and they, you know no like that's the one that that's the one that gets kicked around as being remade the most because that's the one that like is the most like that you could be like yeah it's just a monster movie you could do something with it and then you know you have birdemic <laughs> as like you're you know well, yeah, and not that Birdemic is a good example of this, but, like, just make a different Killer Birds movie, yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's like, yeah. uh, but it's like, yeah, it's Hitchcock, if you're gonna do it, you either have to take the story and leave all the Hitchcockian trappings behind and give it its own spin, or you sequelize it and expand on those characters like Psycho 2 and 3 did. Right. It's, you're, you're never gonna win if you're like, I'm gonna do North by Northwest again. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm gonna make I'm gonna give I'm gonna do Vertigo but better. You yeah, know? It's but like, yeah. It's what do you what do you hope to gain? It just it just feels like a waste of like great talent and resources. You know, it is, it, like litigate just, your own issues with women. You don't need to revisit Hitchcock's. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like I'm gonna make a shot by shot remake of a movie that is famous. For its framing and editing and cinematography and acting, and it's like, and it's and it, at that point, it's just like this is a film school exercise, just with an enormous budget, and you're like, what? Well, made by a director who, of all directors, even though you know you you could argue he's not the greatest director that ever lived, how many other directors get the IAN treatment? Hitchcockian, right? Yeah. Maybe something Spielbergian or Kubrickian, but it's <laughs> Hitchcockian is the one. That's what we think of. Like, yeah, exactly. Why? Why would you do it? I don't know. It, it's it always it felt like foolhardy and stupid at the time, and it and it, it was woefully miscast. Well, Can you imagine <laughs> doing? Uh, it's been twenty years now. We could remake Psycho Two with Vince Vaughn. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Someone should just just. <laughs> yeah, actually, I would I would watch a Psycho three remake with Vince Vaughn and uh, like um... <laughs> who would you who would you get in the Jeff Fahey part? Oh, um, David Destelmachian. Oh, from, uh, yes, Suicide of Squad. Yeah, 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 he's yeah, so of good because he's he's one of those guys that's like he's really charismatic, but he can be really creepy. He can be, he and to. he can be yeah. a scumbag. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he can play a scum- he can play all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So let's make that happen. We got to make Psycho two first. <laughs> And do it right, and get and Julianne Moore can come back. <laughs> yeah, just do the yeah, and then uh, who do you get for the Meg Tilly part? And uh, um, and does does Meg does Jennifer Tilly have a daughter or a niece? <laughs> it would be universal if you're listening. We've got a pitch for you. <laughs> do you think I I have to imagine? And I don't have no evidence of this, but in Psycho Three, Diana. Diana Scarwood, who plays Maureen, is supposed to look exactly like Janet Lee. Right. You have to imagine the studio at least called J- Jamie Lee Curtis's agent. I'm sure they did. Because Jamie sure Lee Curtis did. stayed away. At this point in 86, she was done with horror. She right. wasn't doing horror anymore. Um, but she stayed away from the Psycho franchise for a long time. Like she got. Uh, it was only a few years ago that she was like, I'll do interviews about Psycho and about like that movie as opposed to stuff I've done or all she did like a photo shoot recreating the uh, right. shower scene. Right. But it's like she, um, 
I think I'm, I'm guessing she was like, I am not going to trade on my mother's success. Yeah. I mean, I think but she's that... got her own, she's also saddled with her own horror franchise. <laughs> so she doesn't really need <laughs> to. Yeah. I'm sure. But I, I'm sure that was a, a casting discussion. I'm positive. Somebody, somebody thought, you know, it, maybe it wasn't at the time, but if, the, if they were doing it now, they absolutely would. Yeah. She's now the grown daughter of, uh, not Janet Lee, but Vera Miles character. And she, uh, something involving like Norman Bates' son. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I hate to say thank God everyone involved. It's so, such an old movie that there's not much left to do with the original stuff in it. Yeah. This is what frustrates me about The Exorcist, is that The Exorcist had a really good TV show that did revisit the original and was a sequel, but also took it in new directions. And it's like... We, we can't be afraid to be a little bolder. Yeah. Because it's not like people are demanding these, like, just that everything be a, a full-on, like, nostalgia remake. Yeah. Or, I don't, I mean, everything I've read about The Exorcist Believer has just, uh, it just doesn't feel like it, it just feels so empty. Not even like it's it's revisiting the original in any way. It just feels like it's just this empty like product i don't know yeah well it's it's also it's a harder sell in general than making a new halloween right Uh, because the original exorcist is like top of the mountain when it comes to horror and with the halloween there's been enough bad halloween sequels that it's like yeah okay yeah sure why not let's take another (laughs) crack at it you know why 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 not indeed you know psycho is is like the exorcist in that there's you know there is the original and it's it's up there, and you're never going to top it. And it is really like, what can you do as a follow up to it that's interesting? Yeah, you know, I would put Psycho two and three in the same camp as Exorcist three in terms of like, okay, yes, yeah. you're trying something different. It's respectful of the original. It's in on a, on par with the original, but it's very different than the original. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. I mean, and it, there's like a craft and a care here. That you just don't see in modern day sequels. I mean, not that like the the craft isn't there, but it just it always feels like you're saying like the, the the they just don't feel like bold. They feel like there's no like there's not a take. It just kind of feels like well, we're gonna make another one to make another one. Well, it they feel like you you don't really trust what their motives are, right? Like and uh, and this is I would say this is again coming back to this old Star Wars, this old chestnut, but it is like. <laughs> What are these sequels? What are these new movies for? Are they for fans of the original or are they for a new audience? And it seems like a lot of the time they're trying to have it both ways. Yeah, and, kinda... and they're kind of too afraid of alienating one side or the other. Right. So it, it just they come across as sort of these these like made by committee movies that just kind yeah. of are not fair nor foul. They're just kind of. Yeah. yeah. And it's like like Norman Bates, you need to be committed. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, and it's you know, they say they don't make them like they used to. Uh, amazingly, now we're saying that about Psycho Three, not just Psycho. I know. I mean, well, and it's. Uh, I, I mean, I, I do want to stress, like, Psycho Three isn't is is an interesting watch. It's not a terribly good movie. It's kind of no. a mess, and it's uh, and there's there's like uh, the middle of it really drags. I think. Yeah. But no, this um, one, this one is it's it's you feel all ninety two minutes of exactly. it. Exactly. Sure. I mean, it's it's short, but it is it does not feel short. It's it's with these two, I would say this is definitely like a, a full on like 
I don't know if this, it's really, they don't all make a trilogy, but this one, you know, feels worthy of the others, because especially because it follow, it feels so in keeping with two. Right. But they're definitely like a, hey, the Psycho sequels aren't as bad as you'd think. They're exactly. not that bad, you know? Yeah. And I think a big part of that is just Anthony Perkins. Yes, he, 100%. He did right by the character, and that makes all the difference. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree with I agree with that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so um, that brings us where it's it's Halloween is now, and uh, and in a couple hours, depending on where you are, all the orange and black's going to get shoved into the back of the warehouse, and they're going to bring out all the Christmas shit, because that, like, society changes radically at 12.01 a.m. on November 1st every year. <laughs> so we are leaving spooky threequel month behind, and it's time to get back to all the other part threes out in the world, and uh, we'll... I think it's your turn. It is my turn, and so I've been I've been thinking about this as we sort of move into November, and I don't want to do a holiday movie just yet, uh, but I, I, it's sort of a well, movie... Because that would be Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, and I just said we're not doing any more horror. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so I figure, why don't we do something that's like about fun and being together and hanging out with, uh, with a found family. I was thinking... Why don't we do the third Muppet movie, Muppets Take Manhattan? Oh, fun! <laughs> yes, that's uh, the, the that's there are there's I always forget that that's the third Muppet movie. Yeah. I mix it up with Great Muppet Caper, but that's the second, and they're all good. Yeah. So let's do it. They're yeah, I'm happy. This is the one I've seen the least, though. I think I've only seen this movie once. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I've seen the Muppet movie a bunch. Um, well, yeah, I've but... seen the Muppet movie and I've seen Christmas Carol. And Christmas, Christmas Carol, Carol, I watch but... every year. I love Christmas Carol. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk Jim Henson and the Muppets. I, uh, yeah. you know, I think that'll be that'll be fun. And for once, I'll pick a, an actually good movie and a fun movie. So a, you know. another also, it's a, a franchise that originated in television and then became a successful feature film franchise. And there's really only a couple of those. That's right. Like it's like that in Star Trek, honestly, and Mission Impossible. Yeah, and, but barely. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> It's not so, a lot of connective tissue there. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, Jim Henson, Muppets, fun. Fun, fun, Excellent. fun, fun, fun. So we are got that, and then coming up soon is our 50th episode, which is uh, Landmark, and uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll pick a big one, uh, maybe, or we'll, we'll, we'll all throw you for a loop and do something stupid and wacky, like <laughs> Birdemic 3, you know? <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Muppets Take Manhattan, that's gonna be fun. That's gonna just ease us right into the holiday season. Exactly. So. And, uh, but yeah, this has been a good Halloween season. I've watched some good new horror movies, and I would say all in all, uh, we started with the worst, and it got progressively more interesting as we went. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, I'd say Blade Trinity is, is the nadir of a lot of different genres there. I um, think I would reverse rank these movies. Uh, I'd say yeah. this is the best of the four that we watched, then probably Child's Play 3, then Leatherface, and then Blade. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, but no, it's, it's been, it's been fun. And, um, on the, on my off hours from the podcast, I've been going through Mike Flanagan's TV work. Cause I watch Follow the House of Usher and oh, yeah. then I watched Midnight Mass and now I'm going through, uh, The Haunting of, uh, Bly House or whatever, The Haunting, however it is now, whatever yeah. it's called. But, uh, anyway, that's been a lot of fun. No, so. Mike Flanagan, man, he, uh, he's, he, he's going hard. There's also, yeah, there's Midnight Mass, there's 
Fall of the House of Usher, there's Bly, Bly Manor and Hill House. Hill House, as well. yeah. So I'm yeah. going to, I've been working my way backwards. He's, he's, he's a busy bee, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Because he's done all that, and he'd also fit a, you know, made a not terrible sequel to The Shining, which <laughs> I didn't think was possible. But yeah, speaking of like movies that could be like horrible, horrific cash grabs, that you know. <sighs> oh man, <laughs> I'm telling you, like the. <laughs> That is not I, I I kudos to him for even trying. It's not a perfect movie, but Doctor Sleep could have been a hell of a Oh my lot god, worse. it could have been so much worse. Because it's an unenviable position to A adapt Stephen King at all. Right. And B sequelize Kubrick, because, you know, you went to film school too. His fans are intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we'll be back next week with the Muppets Take Manhattan, or next mm-hmm. month, whenever it, whenever the next one drops. It is the best uh, taking of Manhattan by movie characters. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> well, Jason doesn't really spend any time in New York, right? He, but, oh, he doesn't put in any effort to take me. He takes Vancouver. Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, he takes one night of shooting in Times Square. <laughs> Jason takes a sea voyage for his health. <laughs> Oh, uh, but yes, Muppets. Good times. Enough horror for now. Let's let's uh, let's let's watch some let's watch some Kermit. Yep. We can always do some with more of that. Exactly. But uh, Will, what a, what a fun spooky threequel month we've had. I hope yeah. you had a happy Halloween. Yeah, you too. You too. And uh, until uh, next time, folks. I hope you're having a, a good start to the fall and winter. And uh, we'll see you next time with, as we said, the Muppets take Manhattan. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> That was my Kermit. Get ready for that. It's a good Kermit. Thank you.